the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor, and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, and I'm coming at you on 860-WGULAM. We are the answer, so if you have a question, tune in, and you'll get the answer from us. This is an iHeart station, so grab your smartphone and tune me in, baby. You're riding around town. This is interactive radio. I usually do my show on a theme and stick to it, one topic. It might be a little bit different today. We are at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. By the way, if you're not in the Tampa Bay, Florida area, you can reach me worldwide on the web at 860-WGUL.com. That's 860-WGUL.com. Click Listen Live. The little box is in the upper right-hand corner of the webpage. And you'll hear me every Sunday between 9 and 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I'm here for you guys. Well, I was going to talk about, and I probably will talk a little bit about, should Great Britain stay in or get out of the European Union, the common trading market. This is an organization that was formed after World War II, one of the major reasons that it was formed was to help the countries in Europe that had been so devastated by World War II to recover economically and to be stronger. And also, it had a common buying pool for metals like steel and titanium and raw materials like oil and gas. And it would be easier for each of the countries to know what the other one was up to, depending on how much of the raw materials they bought and used. So let's say Germany made a million cars, but they had enough steel left over to make a 1,000 tanks, and it was unaccounted for. Well, then the French would know and vice versa. So it was a way of ensuring that the Europeans would be able to look at each other and say, they're not building a war machine. They're not coming back at us again. Well, after the attack last week, was it Friday or Saturday? I can't remember which day it was that the attack in Paris occurred. I thought, you know... Why don't we talk about that in the context of our own safety and the safety of the Europeans and how people are responding to this and what you think, how you feel about the terrorist attacks. Granted, it wasn't on our soil, but certainly we're close enough to Great Britain. And whether we are mad at the French or not, we're close to them and the Italians and the Germans. We work very well with all these countries. They're all part of NATO. Well, I don't think France is, but... Italy and Germany are part of NATO. Of course, Great Britain is. 
We're a child of Great Britain, so this does impact and, and affect us as well as the Europeans. So I'm going to let you call in and tell me your thoughts on this, and I'm going to just start rambling a little bit. By the way, I was telling Chris before the show that I was tickled pink and, uh, and uh, kind of honored and flattered that Marco Rubio came on Fox News by telephone. Uh, I think it was Saturday. I can't remember what day it was, Friday or Saturday, and I was listening in the doctor's lounge. And he actually pretty much paraphrased what I said last week about the situation in Syria with the Russians backing Assad and the Turks backing the rebels and we're with the Kurds and Al-Qaeda and the other terrorist organizations are backing ISIS. And the, the problems it would raise if Russia tried to take the, the lead in this situation, which I don't think that they can, I think that they'll just do more uh, damage than good and stir the pot up and make everybody more upset. But th- that's just my personal opinion. And Rubio said the same thing. So apparently somebody's listening to us, guys. We're making an impact. At any rate, I was going to talk about Great Britain and their role in the EU. Now, they were one of the founding members. They entered into the treaty in, in the early 70s, I believe, was when they finally finalized the uh, treaty that brought all the trading partners together. But now they're talking about getting out. And, of course, there's a big debate as to whether or not it will hurt economically, whether it will make jobs grow or jobs will be lost, whether there'll be a brain drain. Right now, there's a lot of people who are coming from the continent to Great Britain because of their intellect and abilities. And, of course, the British are fairly advanced in some areas. And banking is a big deal for Britain. And how will that affect their interactions with their European neighbors if they left France, Germany? But even more importantly, at this specific moment in time, is how will it affect their security? Right now, and you may or may not know this, in the European Union, once you get into one country, you're free to travel through all the European Union countries, all 28. And that includes Eastern European countries that are part of the European Union now, which have been, shall I say, an easy entry for illegal immigrants coming from Turkey, from uh, the Middle East, and from North Africa. And we know that the Italians and French have had problems off and on over the years because of the North Africans, probably the French more than the Italians, although we don't hear about it as much, because a lot of the colonies, a lot of their former colonies, are now North African independent states like Morocco and Tunisia. So it's, it's a big, big problem. And I don't think that they have had the, the terrorism come out of the North African group as much as the world had feared, but certainly the ability to move around in the European Union, go from country to country without having to check in at any border, makes it very easy for somebody who gets in to go wherever they want and to plan and plot whatever they want, as we saw in Paris last week. So it's a it's a it's a mixed blessing, let me say that. And now they're going to have to stop and think about how they're going to secure their borders and make sure that people don't slip through who are malintended and out to cause them harm. And it's the whole union's problem. Now granted, I don't think the Eastern European countries are going to be as at greater risk as the Western 
bigger countries like France, Germany, Great Britain, Denmark. But there still will need to be a concerted effort. Will Great Britain want to participate in this? I don't know. Right now, I'm sure that they're feeling very brotherly towards their French neighbors and feeling uh, a lot of this loss and the sorrow. And I know some Brits were killed in the attack. One American that I saw was killed in the attack. So I doubt they're going to do anything right now. However, their home secretary said she is looking at the security efforts that are ongoing, and they're going to try to devise a way to be a little bit more careful about who comes in and goes out of Great Britain. And remember, Great Britain is not only England, but Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. And the Irish Republic and the border between Northern Ireland and the Irish Republic with the European Union is now an open border. So they're kind of looking at not only people coming from the continent, but also coming in through Ireland. Granted, the Irish are pretty aware of who's Irish and who isn't, but uh, still there are opportunities that present themselves when you have a border like that. And remember, they're surrounded by water, so... People can come by boat clandestinely late at night, and they did during the World Wars. So I don't know what's going to happen to them. I don't know if they'll stick with the Union or if they'll get out. If they get out, certainly they'll be able to negotiate uh, good treaties and good deals with their European neighbors. The Norwegians have done that. The Swiss have done that. No, they won't have a vote in the European Union. They won't be able to decide on a constitution if one is ever formalized. And they won't have all of the access to the financial resources of the European Union. But they'll be free to get into trade pacts with other countries, perhaps some of their old uh, colonial possessions like India and Australia and New Zealand. So, And with us, too, they'll have that opportunity. By the way, we have innumerable trade agreements with a dozen or more countries and, and organizations, and it's worked until recently, I would say, fairly well, but certainly our trade deficit has become a problem, and we're upside down on that. However, we have to look at what is considered trade, and there's finished goods, there's automobiles and tanks and planes and and clothing and things like that. And those, that's one measurement. Another measurement is raw materials, oil, gas, coal. The things that are exported by the United States have included those things over the decades. And then the third is the service sector. And it's hard to quantitate the service sector. The service sector includes not only IBM providing computer services to a, a bank in London, it also includes tourism in our own country. And these things are tough to track. They're very tough to track. Not everybody is going to break down in their books what percentage, or would they even know what percentage of their income from their gift shop in Orlando came from domestic versus out-of-country visitors. There's just not going to be that kind of, of uh, fine detail kept. And, of course, that means that there's a lot of income that, taxes are paid on, but that are not recorded as foreign trade. They're not recorded as services that have been sold to outsiders from outside our, our country. So 
it, it's a little bit deceptive. Yes, on the manufactured goods, we are upside down. But in the service industry, we're way ahead. We're way ahead. And also in, in raw materials, we're fairly well ahead. You say, well, don't we import a lot of oil? Well, the people we import oil from are two of our biggest trading partners, Canada and Mexico. The Canadians have been supplying us with raw goods and materials for decades, and we've worked very well, and they buy more from us than we do from them. So in that sense, the trade deficit between the United States and Canada is, uh, is pretty much a wash. And as well, we have, a, as you all know, and because I talk about it all the time, we have a lot of Canadians come down to Florida in the winter, and a lot of Canadians visit all year round. The older retired Canadians come down to stay for two, three, four, six months, and the younger Canadians and their families go to Orlando and go to the beaches at St. Pete and Clearwater, go over to the uh, East Coast as well, and spend a lot of money. And uh, we get a lot of money from outside of the United States. We get a lot of Canadian money coming in. We don't report that as Canadian versus American income. I mean, that's not a requirement for filing, filing our taxes. We file our taxes, and we say this is our gross and this is our expense, these are our expenses, and this is our net, and this is what we pay taxes on. So it's a little bit deceptive. I don't think we're as upside down as we think we are. I think that there are people who would manipulate or who don't understand the way that foreign trade is calculated, the way it works. But certainly we could do more to bring back domestic manufacturing jobs. We've moved more to a service industry and, of course, we've maintained raw goods uh, industry that we export and use as well. Our own coal is used here as well as oil. And by the way, the government wants to get rid of the uh, coal-burning electric plants and have gas. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But this is what I want to know. How do you feel about what happened in Paris? What do you think? Is, does this do anything to you or for you? Do you feel that we should respond in some way? Is there something that we need to be saying or doing that we're not saying and doing? I saw Hillary Clinton initially say this is a worldwide war. We're at war. But then I understand that last night in the debate she backed off of that somewhat. So what is our response? From my perspective, I think we need to stand in solidarity with our European friends and allies I also think that we need to cooperate as closely as we can with the intelligence community in Great Britain, in France, in Germany, in Italy, in all of our NATO partners, even in Turkey. And we need to be sharing information as well. Now, you may not think that that's the right thing to do. You may say, well, Doc, we don't want everybody to know all of our innermost workings. And I agree with that. But I think that we can give heads-ups just as the Europeans can give heads-ups to us if they know of something imminent. And there may be more cooperation uh, quietly than you and I are aware of or are in on or know about. The government's not going to talk about that. And that's fine with me. That's fine with me. As long as we have some reassurances that things are under control and as long as our legislators are looking at this with a jaundice eye, and that's why we have security committees in the House and the Senate. And uh, I think that we need those folks to be on their toes and do their job extremely well 
in order to ensure that our executive branch is carrying out our commands and our desires to make sure that we're safe. And I think that extends to our European neighbors as well. We don't want to see them hurt. Certainly it's a a wonderful, wonderful experience to travel in France and Italy, Great Britain, Germany. Very fascinating. A lot of history. Most Americans are of European descent. So our roots go back there. And we speak the language of the big mama, Great Britain and Europe. And we're a dialect of German, which is the largest economy in the European Union. By the way, they're huge now. That European Union has taken over the world as the number one economy that is beating out China and the United States. Now, country by country, they don't compare, they don't even come close to China and the United States. But certainly as a block, as a trading block, the EU, which is composed of 28 nations in Europe, including Great Britain, are outproducing and outselling everybody else. Well, rumor has it that one of the passports found was a, a Syrian passport and probably a forgery. How are they doing this and making them look so good? Speculation is that ISIS has captured towns that have passport offices and that they've even perhaps gotten a hold of some passport machines, that is, the, the printing machines that actually produce the passports for Syria. So now Syrian passports are suspect everywhere. And that's something that we're going to have to be very careful about. I know a lot of people have been concerned about the porous border between the United States and Mexico and terrorists coming in that way. I don't know that that's documented. Uh, that may very well be. And I know a lot of people initially liked what Donald Trump said about building a fence between the United States and Mexico. Whether or not that's doable, I don't know. Certainly, we can afford to do it. Do we have the national desire to do it? That's the other thing. And then Trump also made references to the Canadian-American border. Well, you know, that just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, it's the largest unprotected border in the world. There's no federal troops standing there. Now, it is tougher to get in and out since 9-11. However, some of that's starting to ease up with these fast passes that the TSA is uh, making available, and you have to go to the TSA office and get your fingerprints taken and your picture taken and a background check, and then you get a little card, and so you get to skip the, the main lines at the airport, and you go into the fast lane, and they don't make you take everything out, at least not at some airports. So that's changing somewhat. And my good friend, Dr. Nath, said that he had an idea, and I thought this was a pretty good idea, too. He said, Bill, why don't we have bags picked up the night before by services like UPS, only have it as an independent company that actually puts the bags through the scanner and does the pre-check before you get to the airport, and the bags are sent for, let's say, for, uh, for going to Atlanta tomorrow, all the bags that are going to Atlanta before 4 p.m. will be picked up from your home if you're going to Atlanta tomorrow, today at 4 p.m. And all those bags will be put on one airplane that's just a cargo plane so that in the small event that a bomb does slip through, that that plane will not have passengers. Yes, there'll be pilots. Uh, that's a risk the pilots take. They know that. 
even with, if they're flying a UPS jet or a FedEx jet, they know that that's a risk. But certainly they can do a better job of vetting these and scanning these than our TSA can do. I'm, I'm, I'm never amazed at the TSA. Uh, God bless them. Uh, it's just a big make work program from what I can see. You know, they're shaking down 66-year-old Dr. Bill because he's got an elastic bandage on his knee, and it didn't look right when he went through the scanner. So I think a lot of this can be handled by private enterprise and in a more efficient way and in a safer way. Then all we do is get on the plane with our carry-ons, and that's certainly a lot easier than trying to get all the luggage and the passengers on one plane with the possibility that a handler even after all the luggage has been screened, can stick a bomb in a, in a, in a suitcase and pack it on in. Who knows? And, and, you know, there's nothing that says that these guys can't be gotten to. I mean, obviously, it happened in Egypt. It's less likely to happen here, but it, it can happen. We can have terrorists infiltrate our baggage systems at the airports, and they can put things into planes and blow them up. So if we could separate the luggage from the passengers, and just ensure that when it gets to the other end that it's there and waiting for you as much as the airlines can ensure that. And uh, I'm sure every, anybody who's traveled has had problems with their baggages over the years. I know that I have. Actually, though, it's been very rare, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pleased overall with the way the airports and the airline companies have been able to handle the bags. But I thought this was a good idea. Let's separate the baggage from the people. Let's put the bags in one plane and get it there ahead of time and make sure that it's screened by people who are professionals at screening baggages and put the people on another plane or planes. So if there's three flights to Atlanta tomorrow, everything's picked up by 4 this afternoon. It's loaded up and shipped tonight. And when you get there in the morning tomorrow, if you're on the 6 a.m. flight, your bags are waiting for you. And they'll be sorted by flight number, and they'll be rolled out when you get there. So I thought that was a, a really good idea. If you have any ideas, let me know. I'm at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. It's a hodgepodge today, folks. I'm talking about the terrorist attack in Paris, as well as ideas to prevent terrorism here, as well as looking at Will the European Union stick together or not? Will the British pull out in part because of actions like this and they feel that there's not good control of the borders as well as other economic issues? So if you have a, a comment or an input or a question or you want to debate with me about something, give me a call. I'm at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. I'm going to grab a little swig of coffee here. I want to tell you, I looked at the British situation. By the way, the Home Secretary, as I said earlier, in Great Britain is trying to implement some tougher security measures. The Home Secretary is similar to our Homeland Security uh, Secretary here. And she's looking pretty tough in the news today. So I was pleased to see that the British are taking this seriously, and they probably have the best espionage uh, information network of any country in the world, in part because of the 
extended and vastly flung empire that they amassed over the centuries spanned the whole earth. There was a time where you couldn't step on soil that didn't belong to the English in every continent, including Australia, New Zealand. New Zealand's not a continent, but India, Asia, the Middle East, Africa, South Africa, North Africa, the Caribbean, North America, South America. There's even a country called Belize that speaks English in Central America, believe it or not. That's true. It's the only English-speaking country in Central America, from what I understand. So the Home Secretary is making this case. Uh, what are the British overall thinking about getting in or getting out of the European Union? Well, they do a lot of trading within the Union, obviously. And their fear is that if they leave, they won't have that favorable trading situation where there are no tariffs on their exports and uh, the union will want to tax their goods as they come in to punish them for not belonging. But I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. It, it's not the case with Norway and Switzerland. They have uh, different agreements with the European Union, and different countries have carved out a little bit different niches here and there. So I don't think that that's going to be a big deal for them. What about their military and their national defense? Well, they'll still be part of NATO. And they'll still participate in that sense. And I don't think that the Germans or the French or the Italians or the Spaniards are going to turn their backs on them if there's a crisis with Russia or if there's a world war over jihadist Islam. I think that they'll pull together and be one unit. Although you, you never know. But uh, I, my sense is, as I traveled through Europe, is that they're pretty tight and they're pretty much in agreement on who the bad boys are in the neighborhood. Russia and, of course, the uh, jihadists, the fundamentalist Islamic groups that are forming. Do we give them a state? I hope not. I hope not. We got Bob from St. Pete, and he has a comment about luggage. Bob, come on, buddy. How you doing? Good morning. Good morning. Hey, uh, what I do is I, I go to UPS, and I, I ship my stuff out the day before. That way, when I get home, all i got to do is wait for my stuff to come, and then it's all it's come and go. You know, you don't have to hassle with luggage. I've been doing that. So, and uh, your screen of Chris says he does the same thing. So that's that's yeah, my idea. Yeah, that's a good idea. To, and I think Ivy Nath, my buddy, he had a good idea too. Why not just get together? Let's get a group of business people together. We'll make our own company, and we can even integrate it with UPS if it's successful. Let them buy it out. Oh, and yeah. I think that's a wonderful idea. We could. We could have a pre-screening pickup service, sure. and that they would guarantee that to the best of their abilities, which is going to be a lot better than TSA, sure. uh, that, yeah, that the, there were no bombs and the, the luggages and were all clean and put them on one plane and ship them. And if there is a bomb that sneaks in there, oh, well, at least we don't lose 250, 300 people. Yeah, you can, you, hey, that, that's, that's a great idea. Then you can get the DNA and, uh, I mean, uh, uh, the DNA. Yep. So many letters. The, any, any, um, uh, any authority that wants to come in and check it out, hey, check it out. And we're on the up and up, and this, yep. this is it, and that's it. Yep. And, you know, if they, and it will cut down on the number of people on the TSA payroll, which I'm sure the Democrats won't like, but oh, yeah, um, yeah. it certainly wouldn't hurt my feelings to see See, I save a little money on, on the bureaucracy. Hey, where's common sense? Do you see it, any common sense anymore? 
I well, mean, you know, I think there's so much guilt and so much uh, power lusting that people will say and do anything to make themselves feel better and to try and get other people to like them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give, give, give them any, give them what they want, and they. Uh, yeah, yeah but that doesn't always work. But uh, no, it, you can't. I mean, you can't give kids everything. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta make them learn it. You gotta let. You got everybody has to grow up and do their own thing. Otherwise, you don't have a mature population that's capable of handling the responsibilities, especially of a democracy like ours, where we're all expected to participate. Right, exactly, exactly. But non-participation gets frustration. I mean, a guy that's not, when I was 17, I, I, I went out and got a job, and I acted like I was 18, I, and I always had that mindset. I wanted to have money in my pocket. I didn't, yep. couldn't ask my father for money because he'd say, go out and get a job. You know, yeah. and the attitude is it's not that anymore. Kids don't even want to buy a new car. They don't want to buy anything. They want to rent it, and they're, they're irresponsible. That's all it is. Well, there there's certainly uh, an element of that, but, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that I was all that much different at that age. In fact, I'm kind of impressed with my son, how much more mature he is at 19 than I was at 19. I, that's not true for every kid, but it, at least he understands that money doesn't grow on trees, and if he wants extra spending cash after we pay for his college education, then he's going to have to go to work. So he babysits and he sells things on eBay, and he does odd jobs, and he babysits the dogs when we're out of town. And so he's, he's pulling his weight, and you know I, I think that that's a good thing. Do all the kids do that now? No, of course not. I think some of it too, though, is that we have we've we've prolonged the maturation process in part because of the vast amount of knowledge that these kids have to amass. Oh, oh my yeah. God! Oh my I God! Handle, I couldn't handle all the all the texting and all the uh, all the the homework and uh, it just it's it's really uh, it's really uh, overwhelming. It is uh, my my uh, my producer Chris. He's listening in now. His kids are homeschooled. And I'm more and more impressed with the homeschooling. Uh, there's also an organization now that actually oversees at a state level the requirements that are needed so that when you are homeschooled, you come out of it with a, a grade school, high school degree, and that you're prepared to go to college. So I think that's pretty, pretty cool that, that that's being done. But uh, that's certainly another way of, of teaching responsibility. And, you know, you're right to a certain extent. I, I have a good buddy, the Katzes, and their kids are – top of the class. They're, they're top athletes. They play ice hockey nationally in the high school teams, and, but they've never carried out the garbage. They've never been asked to do anything in the house. So, you know, I think that part of that is us. You know, we're, we're expecting more from them and in doing so and expecting them to achieve more in school and in, in extracurriculars that we're saying, well, you know, we feel kind of guilty. We don't want to burden them. Kind of sounds like a liberal, doesn't it? <laughs> <You know? laughs> but I think that that's part of it too. Is there's just so much going on? Yeah, I, I have a quick thought here. Uh, my idea in love, love, the Democrats, they they want to love everybody and they want to give everybody this, that, and the other thing, and their intentions are, are love in, in their mindset. And, and the Republicans are, are want want responsibility and, and without. You know, without responsibility, what are you, what are you going to, you're going to have a disaster. And uh, it, it's love. It's uh, very complicated. But uh, Oh, yeah. And it's got to be tough love. Yeah. It's got to be tough. I mean, you have to have responsibility. Yeah. You reward people for doing 
doing what they're supposed to do. You don't reward them for not doing. Right. And, and you know, you may feel better and you may have a bigger voting base. By the way, I, I, I'm going to have to take, uh, take opposition to one thing you said. I just don't think Hillary loves me. Now, you may feel she loves you, but I don't think she loves me. I don't think she has a whole lot of love for anybody, but uh, that may just be the, the public person. She looks pretty tough to me. I, I'm, I'm a little afraid of her. Uh, I think I'm yeah, going to wear yeah. my... She, she reminds me of my ex-wife. In, uh... <laughs> Put on your catcher's cup, bud. No, I, I, Put it I, on now. <laughs> she showed me she was a cheerleader, and she gave me a sidekick. And I still feel it to this day. I mean, there you go. Uh, Don't, Hillary, get it, <laughs> Don't get her mad. Don't get her mad. Her mad is true. It's, it's right. Right. All right. Well, we're going to take a little break here because uh, so, Chris well, needs a potty break. So good talking to you, Bob. Thanks for calling, buddy. And, and a good point made. We'll be right back. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. And have you seen my little girl? She's got curly black hair She took this raggedy and all everywhere Last I saw her over there Then I heard a choir of screams And a speeding van I watched his tears pour down Father's last attempt With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. France is in mourning as it tries to cope with the coordinated attacks across Paris that have left at least 129 people dead and 352 wounded. One of the suicide bombers has been identified from a finger recovered at the site. Some of his relatives are being questioned. A Belgian official says seven people have been detained in Belgium as part of the investigation into the Paris attacks. The AP says the two of the attackers who died in Paris on France were Frenchmen living in Brussels. Security is extremely tight at a Turkish resort city just a few miles from the Syrian border where world leaders of the G20 nations are meeting this week amidst anxiety because of the ISIS attack. And tighter security is in evidence in the U.S. since the Paris attacks. That includes stadiums hosting today's NFL games all across the nation. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for West Coast Radiology. Our good friends at West Coast Radiology offer convenient and comprehensive x-ray diagnostics, including open MRI, CT scan, CT PET mammography, and ultrasound. With state-of-the-art equipment and four convenient locations, you're assured of friendly, comprehensive care. Most insurance is accepted and competitive self-pay rates, plus Saturday appointments. Call West Coast Radiology at 727-771-2795. That's 727-771-2795. Hi, my name is Phil Grandy, philsgang.com. You know, every day we read in the paper or we hear on radio or TV how the market is rigged. So what? It's rigged to go up, not to go down. You know this market hasn't pulled back 10%, not 10% since 2011, and you're not in this market. You want the market to be rigged. All you got to know is when to get out before it blows up. That's why you become a gang member, philsgang.com. Go to philsgang.com or give us a call at 877-600-4264. Amberella, they make uh, the cameras uh, and drone equipment. Uh, I don't know why it's uh, so weak these days. 
A stock is weak when people don't buy it. It's that simple. It's called pricing power. Hi, I'm Phil Grandy, philsgang.com. Join my gang, Phil's Gang, and learn how to use a chart. Then you will be able to identify, like all my gang members, when you buy a stock and when you don't. philsgang.com. Go to philsgang.com or give us a call at 877-600-4264. This is Charles Osgood for Exergen. You know, when our five kids were growing up, someone was always getting sick. But when you tried to take anybody's temperature, all chaos would break out. When you're struggling with a fussy, squirmy kid, there's no value in those old-fashioned thermometers we used to use. Now my grandkids have it easy. The Exogen Temporal Scanner has changed all that. Just swipe it over the forehead and you get a fast, accurate reading. You don't even have to wake them up. And it's so easy, even Grandpa can do it. Now that's what I call real value. Pleasant today with partial sun trend at 82. Partly cloudy skies tonight, low 68. It will be partly sunny and warm tomorrow, high 87. Clear to partly cloudy and warm tomorrow night, low 71. Tuesday, very warm with a blend of clouds and sunshine, high 88. Very warm Wednesday with a blend of clouds and sunshine, high 88. That's your ranking with a forecast from Jeremy Pearson for AM 860. The answer. Have you seen my son? Not too tall, five eight. She held up a color copy photograph from his wedding day, and this is his pregnant wife carrying his last. He walked down and I'm back with Dr. Bill, a little song about a gentleman who died in 9-11, and apparently he was on his way down the steps of the World Trade Center and was talking to his wife for the last time on the phone, and she came with a picture to try and find him. So that's a real story and a, kind of a tearjerker. I'm sure all of our hearts go out to the Parisians and to the people who lost loved ones over the weekend in the uh, terrorist attack on the, uh, I think it was a nightclub and also at a soccer game. I understand that the president of France was actually at the soccer game and they spirited him out as quickly as they could once the gunfire was realized. So uh, I'm sure that everybody's been touched from the heads of state all the way down to the guy in the standing room only seats. Uh, Sad, sad situation. Worldwide problem. And, you know, it's not just here. It's in Russia. It's in China. You don't hear about it in China because the Chinese just go in and kill them, and that's the end of it. They don't put up with much stuff, and they don't uh, publicize it. But they have a large Muslim population in western China, which borders Pakistan and the other stands and is close to Afghanistan. So it's the whole world that's involved, and now the European Union is being pulled in even more into this crisis. And they're concerned, naturally, because of the Syrian situation and the North African situation. And these are breeding grounds for terrorists. And they're making their way into the European Union. As I said earlier, once you get in to one of the 28 countries, once you pass the uh, border patrol and customs, then you can go to any country you want and you can be employed in any job that you're employable at. And so it's, it's a tough situation. I mean, once again, Eastern Europe's sitting at the border of the 
great divide between East and West, between Asia and Europeans, and it's a different world, different philosophy. The Greco-Roman philosophy is uh, that we have free will, that we're individuals, that we have responsibilities to to ourselves as well as to each other. And, of course, the Eastern philosophy is a little bit different. It's more about uh, family and about patriarchy and about becoming part of a greater whole like Islam. We've got Captain Matt Bruce is on the line. Matt, what's up, buddy? Well, what's up is I've been uh, working hard uh, with my intel folks over the weekend uh, to find out what's going on. I've got details I'll be releasing tonight with some very interesting national and international guests on my show, The Third Watch. But right now, uh, we've uncovered a systematic fraudulent, surprise, surprise, fraudulent passport ring. Because it's very easy to duplicate these Syrian passports and make it look like you're a refugee coming into Europe or Canada or the United States or anywhere else. Uh, they got a hold of some of the, the when, when ISIS took control of areas in Syria, they got a hold of some of the printing plates to make these passports. And they've yep. been working on it very diligently, and they've passed that along up the line to these people that have been going into uh Europe right now, and we're finding out about that. We have got to stop, S-T-O-P, exclamation mark, both sides, this Syrian refugee program right now, because we have no idea who we've let into this country. None. They've not been vetted. Not one of them. I agree. And, you know, the Turks are concerned about this, too. Uh, And I think that uh, we've got to work closely with Turkey, and we can't let the Russians get in there, because they'll just muck things up. They don't know how to form alliances with democracies, And the Turks, at least until recently, have been a democracy and a secular one. So I I agree with you 100 percent. And nobody is closer to the situation than Turkey. I mean, they're sitting right on the top of the they're they're the northern border of Syria. So we've got to do something. And the Europeans have to do something, too, because, you know, once you get into Europe, it's easy. I mean, it's easy to get all over. This entire situation just brought, as it should have brought, border security and immigration to the front, the pyramid of the presidential race. And I was watching the Democrats with their little mini debate that they had try to scramble and say the things they were. Hillary's trying to backtrack, defending her record, how great it was. Uh, Martin O'Malley and Bernie are going after her very weakly, very meekly. You know, if I had been the president right after these attacks had happened, there's one target. One target. Well, actually, there's two targets. If you want to take into the uh, the uh, the Muslim holy places uh, in in uh, the Middle East, but I would have gone after Raqqa. I would have dropped a daisy cutter on one side of Raqqa. If there was no response, I would have dropped a daisy cutter on the other side of Raqqa because those look like a nuclear bomb when they go off, even though they're oh, yeah. not. And it would get oh, their yeah. attention very quickly. But we cannot negotiate with these people that are sworn to the destruction destruction of the entire Western world as we know it. It's not just us. It's the entire Western world. And people have got to stop realizing or start realizing that Islam is the political end of it. The Muslims are the ones practicing the religion. Yeah, and the philosophy is, although there are good Muslims, they're certainly the the basis of the philosophy, which Chris and I were talking about earlier, is that it's okay to be violent in the name of God. And although Christians have been violent in the name of God in the past, certainly that's not what Jesus taught, and that's not in our our Western uh, way of thinking. It's not the Greco-Roman way. You don't just be violent in the name of your God. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. So why would you want to destroy something that's been created 
by God, if you believe that's, in God. That's correct, and uh, the, the Israelis can tell you all about that, as well as back, it goes all the way back to the Crusades. These people are still talking about the Crusades and their philosophy, but keep up the good work. I'll be on the air at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'll have a lot more information and details directly out of Paris. All right, Matt, we're looking forward to it, buddy. You know, i got to tell you, guys, uh, I'm sitting at the lunch table talking with some of the doctors, and, of course, there's a lot of Jewish doctors uh, in the world, and certainly in, in the United States and in St. Petersburg, and one of the guys said, you know, I said, the, you, you don't understand. That's not what I learned as a Catholic. I learned to be tolerant and accepting and nonviolent. And he said, well, what about the Inquisition? I said, Al, that's a thousand years ago. You know, I, I was only born 66 years ago, so I, I can't speak to that. And I can say this, that if you call yourself a follower of Christ, then you have to think long and hard about whether or not you're going to use violence in your life. And if you struggle with that, and I'm sure that there are a lot of people who do, then need to sit down and reread the Gospels, especially John, and see what Jesus said about violence. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have the right to defend yourself. I'm not saying that, and I'm not, I'm not a proponent of, of uh, what Jesus is preaching in terms of nonviolence, because I don't think that we can get through without having at least the uh, option of responding to other people's violence towards us. That, that's my own philosophy, and one of the reasons I don't call myself a Christian anymore. Uh, I, I just don't think that I can do that. I don't think I can be nonviolent and peaceful. But I think that we all have to stop and think about what it is we're saying and doing, and in whose name we're doing it. You know, if we're going after Islam in the name of God, I mean, we're just at their same level. This is purely, solely, very simply a survival situation. We have the right to survive, and we believe that our way of life allows others to survive and flourish. And that's what we have to put forward, that we're not here as crusaders, the crusades, the inquisition that happened a long, long time ago, and that was at a time when Europe was threatened by Islam, and that's a time when there was a lot of fear of outsiders, and the Europeans were rallying together and pulling together to try to keep out what they considered to be uh, a threat that has preceded Islam. That is, the threat from the East to force them to conform to a whole different philosophy and way of life, where the individual is not as important as the state or the family. <clears throat> I think that we have to have that individuality, otherwise we won't have the democracies, we won't have that sense of uh, of responsibility that Bob and I were talking about earlier. We won't have that uh, willingness to defend ourselves the way that Matt's talking about and moving forward. We don't have to be violent about it right now. I mean, we can just do it by, as Matt says, by being more secure in our own state, by watching who we let in, tightening the controls. And this is going to be a big deal. It's going to continue to be a big deal. You know, we don't want these small skirmishes and these terrorist attacks to turn into World War III. That's what we don't want. And to that end, we may have to drop some bombs. We may have to go in and clean up some messes. I know you say, oh, Bush was wrong. We shouldn't have gone in. I hear this at the lunch table every day. It shouldn't have gone into Iraq. You know what? He did, and we were there, and we had spent billions building a base near Basra in the southern part of the country. It was close to the Iranian border. It 
could have held fifty to 100,000 troops continuously. They could have responded to threats like ISIS or to spats between the Shias and the Sunnis. And it could have instilled some order into the area. And I don't think we would have seen the domino effect that we're seeing now where radical Muslims are overthrowing or attempting to overthrow the governments of the predominantly Muslim states in the Middle East. If we go in, we got to stay. We can't do this Vietnam thing, go in, throw away billions, lose 50,000 lives, and then say, oh, it's not working and leave. I mean, give me a break. All you had to do is bomb Hanoi flat and the war would have been over in Vietnam. What were we doing? Why are we doing this in, in Iraq? Why are we going in, coming out? Now we're going back in. This makes no sense, guys. It makes no sense. It's a waste of time, money, and resources, and more lives are lost. So I think that there is a lot to uh, what everybody is saying. We need to strengthen our borders. We need to strengthen our, our security. We need to screen people better. We need to watch out who we let in. It's all well and fine to say we'll take 50,000 Syrians. Who's going to vet them all? Who's going to look at all these people? Who's going to do background checks? I mean, once they get in, it's tough. And like this one kid that was involved in the attack in Paris a few days ago, he was on the radar, but he was moving. He was moving from Eastern Europe through Northern Italy into France. And, you know, if you're on the interstate there and you're in a car, I mean, you don't know. So how are you going to track this guy? Well, you can't. I mean, once he gets out, gets past the border guards, and even if his name's pulled up in the computer and it's sent out to all the other countries in the European Union and even in the United States and Australia and wherever else is involved, still, it's not easy to track them. You know? their, their interstate network is as extensive as ours. They move around just as much as we do. There's just as many cars on the road, probably more. They're smaller. You can fit more on the road. But it's, it's not as we envision. It's not like there's a, a camel caravan that goes from Serbia into France. I mean, all you got to do is go rent a car. I just did it. I crossed the Apennines, the mountain chain that runs up and down Italy. I crossed it four times a couple of months ago, driving back and forth sightseeing. And the, didn't see any police, didn't see any uh, National Guardsmen, didn't see any Italian militaries people except when you went to the to the big tourist uh, attractions like the cathedrals and the domos and the basilicas then you saw it you know and you went to you went to the vatican and there was security outside there was security inside and everything was checked but uh, that's once you're there so as Matt said, we're going to have to devise a better way of handling this. And before we just say, we're going to take 50,000 X, Y, Z, we need to know what we're taking. And we can vet them outside. We can screen them outside of the United States. Let's not wait till they're here and then try to screen them. And by the way, why don't you just stay in this apartment until we get you screened? Yeah, that's, that's going to work, right? No, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, you go to that apartment, build a bomb, and, you, and then you go to Chicago and go to a football game at Soldier's Field, and you blow up a couple hundred people. So, you know, I'm with Matt on this. We've got to have a better way of, of screening and vetting these people. Yes, we want to be 
good neighbors to our friends around the world. Yes, we want to extend a hand of friendship. Yes, we want to do what we consider to be a charitable act, but we also have to use some common sense. We have to impose upon our ruling parties, Democrat and Republican, the notion that you have a responsibility to look out first for us. That's why we elect you. That's why we pay you a salary. You're there to take care of us. That's your job. And we understand that being diplomatic and being a a good neighbor and a good citizen of the world community is important, but we also know that you got to use a little common sense. I mean, I just don't get some of this. I'm like mad. I just don't understand it. Why on earth would you just open the doors to 50,000 people that you don't even know? You don't know anything about them. That doesn't make any sense to me. But maybe at some level somebody uh, has a plan and is looking at all this. I, I don't think that it's as uh, tight and as, an ex- as extensive as it should be, obviously not in the European Union. They've had a couple of attacks now in, in Paris. They had the magazine uh, company that was publishing anti-Islamic literature and articles, and that was attacked, I think that was a year, a year and a half ago. And now this attack, the Italians have had problems. Uh, the British have had problems. We've had our problems. The Russians have had their problems. Somewhere we're not making the connection. It's got to start at the border. It's got to start before people come into the United States or the European Union. Before people board the plane in, in a resort in Egypt headed back to Moscow. It has to be done before. So we've got a lot of food for thought today. Maybe next week I'll talk a little bit more about the economics of the European Union, but actually this was, this was kind of fun and stimulating. I really cr- appreciate Bob and Matt joining me on the show this morning. Good work, guys. And Chris, I don't know what we're going to do, buddy, but now are you screening people when they come into the radio station? I know the doors are locked. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, two minutes. and So I got two minutes to tell you about the security at, at the station. All the doors are locked, and they're not just deadbolts. They're those electronic magnet locks as well. And uh, there's, at, at the back door, there's actually a double door. So you come into a little, uh, like a little hallway where there's some uh, rooms for storing cleaning goods and supplies. And then there's another door that's locked before you get into the studios. And it's the same way at the front. In the front, there's a waiting room. It's a glass-enclosed waiting room. But before you can get into that door, you have to be buzzed in. And then before you get into the office part and the studios, you again have to be buzzed in. Now, this is a radio station, a dinky little radio station. And they have double security. Everybody knows everybody. You can't get in there unless you're an invited guest or or a special personality like me, you know, because I'm, I'm a big man there. I buy a lot of airtime, and I pay for Chris's kids to go to school at home and play football, and that's important. So we're here, and we can do it. We have good security. Why can't the rest of the country do the same? Well, guys, I want you to think long and hard about this. Say some prayers for the, uh, for the Parisians. We lost one American. I think there was a British a citizen that was lost. I'm sure there were other folks, uh, good people. I don't care what anybody says about the French. They don't bother me. I like them. 
And I feel the same way about most of the European Union countries. So until I see you next week, I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. You hang in there. Chris, love you, buddy. I'm out of here. Have a good one. Good morning, Tampa Bay. Jeffrey Burchard here at your service right here at WGOL 860 AM radio on the... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.